Just liberty.org. It's good for you and it's good for me. Just liberty.org. Just liberty.org. Hi, this is Amanda Marzullo. Two grandparents from Texas City recently were confronted by would-be robbers in clown masks, one of whom wielded a machete. But Grandpa wrestled the machete away from one of the robbers while his wife smacked the other upside the head with her grandchild's scooter. And as the inept robbers tried to drive away, she smashed their car windshield with the scooter, breaking it in half. So, Scott, do you consider these grandparents heroes? I don't know. The, the story sounds great until you realize this is the third time Mom has smacked a clown in the head with a razor scooter. I mean, there, there's always some story behind it, but but I'm starting to see a pattern, really. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's what I, what I always think when I see those razor scooters. I'm like, you know, my grandmother is going to pick them up and use them as a weapon. Against a clown, definitely. <laughs> against, this against is the, the that that's that's the part that makes it suspicious to me. <laughs> I, I I'm not sure I've seen three clowns, and yet here we are. Yeah, I'm. I'm who knew? All right, hi everybody. This is Scott Henson, and you're listening to the April 2019 episode of Just Liberty's Reasonably Suspicious Podcast, covering Texas criminal justice, politics, and policy. I'm here today with our good friend Amanda Marzullo, who's executive director of the Texas Defender Service. How are you doing, Demandy? Sounds like you're you're have a little cough. Today. Yeah, I'm still uh, recovering from a, a wicked, wicked sinus infection slash pneumonia. But yikes! Well, um, thank you for doing this. <laughs> Anytime. Well, today on the Reasonably Suspicious Podcast, the Dallas DA is accused of socialism. The Waco DA's office went 0 for 155 in the Twin Peaks biker massacre indictment. And the governor has endorsed reduced pot penalties, but only for people who are out of pot. Mandy, what are you looking forward to discussing on the podcast today? Uh, the Twin Peaks biker massacre. Uh, I think anytime you have 155 indictments result in zero convictions that is something i want to talk about that's an amazing story first up though new dallas da john Crusoe underwent a barrage of bad press last week after releasing his long-awaited proposals to reduce mass incarceration which he had promised to produce during his campaign the dallas news offered up two negative stories driven by law enforcement critics then two more after governor greg abbott criticized Crusoe on twitter calling his policy refusing to charge poor people who steal necessities with theft socialism. Mandy, what do you think of the backlash against John Crusoe, and do you think the governor knows what socialism means? <laughs> um, well, I think Doug Deason put it well in his um, comments to the Dallas Morning News this morning, which is that he thinks that it's all misunderstood. And Doug Deason being a major conservative donor and Republican activist. Yeah, no, he and, and he's wonderful. I mean, really, he works pretty consistently with the Right on Crime Coalition, which the listeners of the podcast will know is a coalition of a number of different groups that's trying to come up with criminal justice policies that sort of just make sense. Right, from a conservative of, ideological perspective. Yeah. That, that's right. And and so, you know, that's really what John Crusoe's plan is really doing is it's, it's about targeting resources towards people who are actually a threat to public safety and sort of allowing defendants who get caught up in the criminal justice system, but really aren't a threat to anyone, let alone not even themselves, to have another start. And, and so given that background, I think it's clear that the governor doesn't know 
what John's policies are, but he also does not know what socialism means, to get back to your question. Right. The Um, socialism part was the amazing piece of this to me. So just to recap, the governor started out on this by announcing, you know, oh, hungry people stealing food, you know, cold people (laughs) stealing a coat. Where will it end? (laughs) And and as as one commentator said, when they're, you know, hungry people are fed and warm, that would be when it ends. So he, he went straight Inspector Javier, you know, from Les Miserables in, in, in the first tweet. And then there were two tweets on the topic. In between the first and the second, he had another tweet in which he declared all property taxes are theft. These mm. fund most of Texas government, by the way. Yeah. So, so And then he comes back and says that the Crusoe's new policy is a form of socialism. And if you didn't want to have socialism, then poor people should get money and food from government programs like TANF and so you piece all this together and you know conservatives for years have criticized uh, Mm -hmm. the welfare state and TANF and food stamps and everything else as socialism that's been the critique so for Abbott those government programs that help the poor are not socialism what is socialism is actual theft by criminals and, oh, by the way, property taxes are also theft. And, wow. And so I guess, you know, since property taxes fund the government, maybe we have a socialist government. I can't tell where all this heads. But there's a swirl of weird <laughs> ideology in there that seems pretty disconnected from the fairly moderate things that John Crusoe is actually doing, which then, which compared to the other like progressive DAs around the country, compared to a Larry Krasner or a Rachel Rollins or, or Kim Fox, he's actually taking baby steps. Yeah, this is not really that far out there. Um, the first assistant for Faith Johnson, who was his Republican predecessor, has said that everything except um, his position on uh, drug cases is basically what she was going to do anyway. Yeah. And, you know, the you know the really controversial not prosecuting thefts of $750 or less is sort of an example of this and how much, like, the governor probably just really doesn't understand what's going on um, because he's saying, Crusoe is saying he's not prosecuting these cases anymore. But at the same time, you know, the Dallas PD has stopped making arrests. That's right. Long before Crusoe got there. Yeah. The the, the shopkeepers have to report shoplifting on an online system now. Yeah. So they've stopped doing those arrests. They're looking for someone to blame because people aren't always happy that they're not making the arrests. And Crusoe is sort of an easy target for that. So there's some opportunism here going on for sure. Absolutely. Next, the Texas House is scheduled to vote on HB 63 this Thursday, April 25th. This bill would make possession of up to an ounce of marijuana subject to a civil penalty that is not to exceed $250. So, Scott, what are the bill's prospects for enactment? Well, this is the furthest that any marijuana penalty reduction legislation has ever gotten in Texas. We've seen bills uh, get out of committee several times as far Mm -hmm. back as 2005. Mm-hmm. but the calendars committee in the house has never set any of them for a floor vote. And so this is an historic opportunity in that sense. And, 
And quite frankly, my sense is that, that the House will overwhelmingly support it. I think that uh, there's plenty of Republican support, and most of the Democrats want to go even further. This civil penalty idea is something that was in the Republican Party platform uh, last year, the Texas State Republican Party. And so there's a pretty significant base of support for this. Now, what's interesting about it, though, and what makes me nervous about its possibilities of, of passage is that the governor has staked out a different position. Mm-hmm. Um, he would prefer to keep marijuana possession a criminal offense and move it from a class B to a class C misdemeanor. Mm-hmm. There is a bill that enacts his version of marijuana penalty reduction, House Bill 335, which when it got out of committee, Chairwoman Collier said that they were changing it to only have it apply up to two grams and everything else would stay a class B misdemeanor. So that's the competing proposal. Both of them had been in the calendars committee, and obviously the committee chose to, to put this one mm-hmm. on the House floor. So that's probably that, that you, I guess, would interpret that as a House leadership choice about which bill they prefer. And it potentially sets the House of Representatives up in opposition to where the governor's at on it. And he, of course, has to sign anything that goes into law. So, so it's a little nerve-wracking in that sense because it sets up some drama in the future that we don't really know how it'll play out. Yeah, but, you know, from just sort of a policy standpoint, I think you can see why the House would be making this decision. Because, you know, the, the two grams threshold really only captures, according to my understanding, a very small oh, absolutely. Like, number of people, right? Like That's right. If you only have two grams of pot, you're basically out of pot. <laughs> I mean, you, you yeah. buy a pot and say like an ounce or, or a half ounce oh. or something like that. And, and but, but if you have two grams of pot, it, it's almost time to go back to the weed dealer. <laughs> okay, so I mean, see. that's basically what's going on there. Yeah, so having it, you know, having... Um, having some sort of reform apply to people who are possessing up to an ounce, my understanding is that that's still capturing people who are possessing marijuana for purposes of using it right. as opposed to dealing, right? That's exactly right. And the other reason and, to prefer the civil penalty to the criminal offense is that there are all sorts of collateral consequences, especially in federal law, from having any sort of criminal drug conviction. And so if you make it a civil penalty, then, for example, you're not barred from federal student loans or, you know, other federal collateral consequences are sort of just taken off the table. So those are the two reasons exactly, the higher threshold and then the, 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 the getting away from the consequences of having a criminal drug conviction. Yeah, and the, That's why you'd prefer it. And I prefer that bill. It's just not what the governor wants. <laughs> Whatever the government wants. But, I mean, there are also just, you know, fiscally conservative reasons to support this, right? That, you know, with, if you're ma- keeping a lot of marijuana possession as a Class B misdemeanor, that means that you're arresting people, you're paying to incarcerate them in the jail, and you're providing them often with a lawyer. Very much. And I, I really wonder what the governor will do if this is the bill that keeps moving because all those things you just mentioned, having to pay for lawyers for indigent defendants, having to pay for jail costs, which is why he had endorsed reducing the criminal penalties, all that will still happen if, if you don't do something, if you don't reduce it either to a Class C or the the civil penalty something if the civil penalty is on the all that's on the table what will he do 
Um, it's an interesting question because I think this bill meets 90% of his goals. Mm-hmm. His one, his 10% goal of, well, I don't want to have people say I decriminalized. Well, well if you not. achieve all your other <laughs> policy goals, then then is that really the concern? I, we, we'll see. And, and, you know, it's not really, and it's, it, this is really different from legalizing pot, right? Very much. You know, making this a civil penalty does not mean that it's going to be sold on the street. It doesn't mean that it's legal suddenly to sell marijuana. That's right. Everybody still has to drive to Colorado for that. Yeah. So it's, there's a long way to, to go there. Next, it's time to play fill in the blank, in which Mandy and I suggest different ways to finish the same thought. In Waco, the new district attorney, Barry Johnson, has dismissed the last of 155 indictments secured by his predecessor, Abel Reina, against people arrested following the Twin Peaks biker massacre nearly four years ago, in which nine people died and nearly two dozen more were injured. So, Mandy, fill in the blank. The Twin Peaks imbroglio was the worst bungled prosecution in Texas since... Ever? I want to say ever. Uh, I can't think of another situation where they've rounded up 177 people. You know, had that result in 155 indictments, and there were no convictions. The zero convictions is an extraordinary thing. I mean, that, that means that what they did is they just wasted a lot of time and a lot of money. Right. I mean, I, I no one has tallied the expense of this, but I I am certain it's in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not in the millions of dollars. And that's before any civil litigation, which now seems almost inevitable. That that the, 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 lots of people's rights were violated here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really a cautionary tale, right? Like, don't round people up for the sake of rounding them up. It's extraordinary. I, I would suggest that it's the worst bungled prosecution, certainly since they rounded up 430 children at the YFZ ranch out in West Texas. And, and when, when you but they didn't chart, they didn't indict those children. I no, mean, and for the most part, they, they, they didn't indict that many people at all. They, they ended up indicting Warren Jeffs, and there were a handful of people at the, at, at the end. It was, but compared to the number of people whose children were seized, yeah. Um. Uh. It was de minimis, and uh. And the pros- the idea of oh, we're going to send in school buses and haul four hundred and thirty kids away, was the most extraordinary thing I'd ever seen. But the, the, but certainly the worst since then. I, I think this may be, <laughs> this maybe tops it because of the zero convictions. Yeah. And, and to be fair, there's there's other worst there's other bungled prosecutions that that look pretty terrible. We, we have a lot of exonerees who were really the subject of just horrendous miscarriages of justice. Um, uh, the Mineola Swingers Club is, is one that's yeah, falling apart yeah, now. And This is a high bar. Right. What I'm saying, like, this is really extraordinary. Like, it's, it's, it, it's almost like you have to strive to be this bad. Right. Right. Well, um, they, Abel Rinya succeeded. <laughs> yes, he did. He exceeded all expectations. Okay, next one. This spring, 
The Austin PD implemented new policies limiting when police officers can arrest people for Class C misdemeanors, which are low-level offenses punishable only by a fine and not jail time. A new policy eliminated a majority of justifications previously available to officers to arrest, and the result was a 57% decline compared to the same three-month period a year earlier. So, Scott, fill in the blank. Agencies making arrests for Class C misdemeanors are... Wasting money and violating people's rights. <laughs> this is... that You know, when Sandra Bland was arrested four years ago, we really didn't know anything about how often this occurred. The cops showed up at, at the legislature and said, oh, this doesn't occur very often. This never happens. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. And so... The legislature said, okay, we're not going to ban these arrests, but we are going to gather data about them. And they, yeah. they required police departments to, to note when they arrested people at traffic stops for this. Well, it turns out to be happening tens of thousands of times across the state. Um, Texas Appleseed analyzed jail bookings and found 30,000 Class C arrests in just 11 counties mm-hmm. last year. So this is happening a lot. And we hadn't really understood the scope until very, very recently. So in Austin, a lot of this came to a head because they were really among the cities arresting quite a lot of folks. That 12.5% of their jail bookings were Class C misdemeanor arrests. And so last year, local political effort, grassroots leadership, and others were involved in pushing what was called the Freedom Cities Initiative locally. And they, as you mentioned in the lead-in, eliminated the majority of reasons officers could arrest for Class Cs under their policy. They left things like they won't identify themselves or there'd be a continuing public safety threat. But it used to be that they could arrest just because they wanted to search the trunk and the person wouldn't consent. (laughs) Which which is crazy because you have a right... to refuse a search. That's right. But they have a right to arrest you for the Class C misdemeanor and then search your car incident to arrest. Yeah. So, so if everyone exercises your rights, they win, the driver yeah, loses. Yeah. It's, it's an end run around the Fourth Amendment. That's exactly right. And so it was abandoning those types of practices that led to this 57% decrease in Austin. And essentially, the, the exceptions that they're leaving in are more or less the same as are in house bill 2754 which actually just passed out of the house criminal jurisprudence committee this morning and went to the calendar so yay that that's great news that that got out of committee essentially i think this maybe gives gives us a preview of what types of reductions Mm. in class c arrests we might see if um if that bill passes yeah no exciting um I was going to say just wasting police officer time. There is a lot that a law enforcement officer can do to, you know, not not only enhance public safety, but improve quality of life and set, you know, their own department up for success in future investigations. You know, law enforcement officers, when they're on patrol, they're also meeting with business owners they're identifying you know conditions like you know poor lighting even that can give rise to crime um and you know a lot of police chiefs in some of the most successful 
um, jurisdictions in the country have told me that you know the most important thing that they can do is have their officers walk the beat and distribute their business card so right. that when someone is in trouble they know who to go to and there's a, a name and a person associated with the organization so if you're wasting time arresting people for offenses that we don't consider serious enough to even involve jail time that's right you're you're really you know just wasting that's right all of your efforts so for that that's that's exactly right and for every one of those arrests you're taking at least one officer off the street for two to four hours while they take that person down for for booking yeah and so you if there were 30,000 arrests in 11 counties according to to texas appleseed in just those 11 counties um you know you're talking about you know 60 to 120,000 hours of wasted officer time dragging people (laughs) into jail um on class c misdemeanors just just using just for those 11 counties that is so much taxpayer money being spent on arrests that really aren't making anyone safer i mean if you think about it that's you know, if if you work two thousand hours a year on average, that's right. and you're hitting sixty thousand hours, that's thirty years. That's, that's right. one law 30 enforcement officer years. Thirty officer years. That's one law enforcement. Thirty officer. to sixty. It's two 30. to four, probably. Yeah. So yeah, that's 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 a big big number. Um, it it, it doesn't make sense. They could be doing so much more. Okay, last one. After Donald Trump signed the First Step Act and both Texas political parties endorsed significant criminal justice reforms in their platforms leading up to the election, hopes were high that 2019 might be a big year for justice reform bills. But many more prominent reform bills have stalled out, with only a few small measures so far making it through even one chamber. So Mandy, fill in the blank. When we look back on the 2019 Texas legislature from a criminal justice perspective, reformers will feel... It frustrated. Um, you know, I think there's still a lot of time and there are, you know, you know, just this morning they've scheduled a number of bills you know, for a floor vote in the House. So, I, you know, it could happen and I'm sort of happily surprised by all of this. But, you know, I have seen just a, a lot of rancor and a failure to come to consensus on really important bills like bail reform that you know, really should pass this year. Right. And strangely, the House Criminal Jurisprudence Committee passed out competing versions of bail reform, much as they passed out competing versions of marijuana reform. <laughs> yeah. So they kind of just kicked the decision down the road. Um, uh, and and, and that, that leaves it confused. And when things are still confused this late in the session, usually they can't be resolved. Yeah. So, I, you know, I... I, I I'm tempted to say that that reformers will feel disappointed. I think that's probably the right answer. <laughs> um, I I think a lot of this has to do with expectations uh, and what you thought was possible coming in. I think if you look at sort of the main items that the big reform groups were working on and say, are they going to accomplish all their pre-session goals? No. I think a lot of the big things people have been working on and putting a lot of time into – may not make bail reform being maybe one of the most prominent you know examples of that um some stuff on classy misdemeanor debt is getting balled up there's a lot of things that a lot of people really care about that uh may not be able to to pull off this time Mm -hmm. i do think if we look up at the end of the session 
and some sort of marijuana penalty reduction has finally passed. That's mm-hmm. been 20 years in the making. If the driver responsibility program is eliminated and that looks like Knockwood, there's a very real chance that that can happen. That that could get one and a half million people their driver's licenses back. That's a huge deal. Yeah. The bills are moving to reduce penalties for driving with invalid license to help people get their their or their license suspended less often. And so there's enough good bills moving to where it's possible we look up at the end of the session and say, okay, the big goals weren't achieved, but some pretty decent things happened when all the, the rubble settled. And that, that's my best case hope here. So, <laughs> so in, maybe instead of disappointed, I'm going to go not completely hopeless <laughs> is how we'll feel. They'll show up again in 2021. <laughs> All right. Now it's time for our rapid fire segment we call The Last Hurrah. Mandy, are you ready? I'm ready. First up in Austin, an aggressive panhandler who snatched $1 from a customer at a food truck was charged with robbery and held on $12,000 bail. Mandy, does setting $12,000 bond for stealing a dollar bill make sense? No. Absolutely not. This is my favorite layup ever. And I think if for no other reason, in this case, the um, panhandler, while he was probably aggressive, um, didn't flee the scene. He was arrested right there. Right. That's that's how this happened. By definition, not a flight risk. Yeah, exactly. All right. In Austin, the district attorney has announced her office will no longer prosecute cases in which defendants are found in possession of trace amounts of drugs. Is this a big deal? Honestly, it's kind of embarrassing that they were still doing this until now. <laughs> this is what they're really doing with these trace amounts, which are 0.01 grams or less of, of drugs. They're taking, say, a crack pipe or a meth pipe or something, sending it to the crime lab. The crime labs are already overworked and it takes nine months to get your, your materials back. Mm-hmm. Sending it to the crime lab so they can scrape resin out of the pipe and charge the person with felony possession. Yeah. And the fact that they were doing that before and they're going to stop doing it now, I'm sorry, I don't give a lot of credit for that. That should never have been done by anybody. They stopped doing it in Houston a few years ago. John Crusoe put that on his list of things he's not going to do anymore. That's something no one should do. That's just stupid and wasteful. Yeah, no, yeah. It, it, just to provide some perspective, it means the amounts are so small that the defense can't can't conduct their own testing. That's right. Once they tested, uh, it's so all it's used up. So there's no, you're not able to cross-examine anyone over this. Okay, last one. The Harris County DA's office continues to suffer from high turnover, the Houston Chronicle reported, in part because of Hurricane Harvey and in part because of low morale. Mandy, why do you think people don't want to be Harris County prosecutors anymore? (laughs) You know, I think it's a mix of things, but I do think some of the appeal of being a prosecutor is wasting away as we sort of see more and more that it's about incarcerating people based on their income level and targeting communities instead of about just promoting public safety. And I think Og, if she wants to recruit, is going to have to reprioritize the office so that it really is about public safety the way Crusoe is making it. That's a really good point. It also makes you wonder when she asked for 100 additional prosecutors but they're bleeding prosecutors now and can't hire them at replacement rates. How do you hire more? How are you going to hire a hundred more? <laughs> Hold them hostage. I guess. 
All right. We're out of time, but we'll try and do better the next time. Until then, I'm Scott Henson with Just Liberty. And I'm Amanda Marzullo. Goodbye, and thanks for listening. You can subscribe to the Reasonably Suspicious Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. We'll be back next month with more, hopefully better news. Until then, keep fighting for criminal justice reform. It's the only way it's going to happen.